what you may consider to be an unusual passage for such a series as this, but I trust you will see why I do so. Uh, Please open your Bibles to Jeremiah chapter 3. Jeremiah chapter 3. We're going to read verses 6 through 19. It really would have been better, at least in my own thinking, to start at chapter 1, verse 1, and read all the way through to the end of chapter 3. That, however, would preclude uh, any preaching or application. So I will settle for doing what I can to unfold uh, verses 6 through 19 more in a block sense than verse by verse, which I would prefer. But I, I do pray that you will see why we're going to do it this way. And that being said, would you please stand with me? Jeremiah, the prophet Jeremiah, beginning in verse 6, and we're going to read through verse 19. Brethren, let us give our hearts attention to God's word. Jeremiah 3, verse 6. The Lord said also unto me in the days of Josiah the king, Hast thou seen that which backsliding Israel hath done? She has gone up on every high mountain and under every green tree, and there hath played the harlot. And I said after she had done all these things, Turn thou unto me. Now, if you don't get anything else, you should be stunned by the grace of that sentence. Judah has played the harlot. Israel has played the harlot. And the Lord says, turn thou unto me. But she returned not. And her treacherous sister Judah saw it. And I saw when for all the causes whereby backsliding Israel committed adultery, I had put her away and given her a bill of divorce. Yet her treacherous sister Judah feared not, but went and played the harlot also. And it came to pass through the likeness of her whoredom that she defiled the land and committed adultery with stones and with stocks. And yet for all this, her treacherous sister Judah hath not turned unto me with her whole heart, but feignedly, saith the Lord. And the Lord said unto me, The backsliding Israel hath justified herself more Then treacherous Judah, go and proclaim these words towards the north and say, Return, thou backsliding Israel, saith the Lord, and I will not cause mine anger to fall upon you. For I am merciful, saith the Lord. 
and I will not keep anger forever. Only acknowledge thine iniquity. That's the hardest thing for any human being to do, ever. Acknowledge thine iniquity that thou hast transgressed against the Lord thy God and hast scattered thy ways to the strangers under every green tree and ye have not obeyed my voice, saith the Lord. Turn, O backsliding children, saith the Lord, for I am married unto you and I will take you one of a city and two of a family and I will bring you to Zion and I will give you pastors according to mine heart, which shall feed you with knowledge and understanding. And it shall come to pass when ye have multiplied and increased in the land. In those days, saith the Lord, they shall say no more the ark of the covenant of the Lord. Neither shall it come to mind. Neither shall they remember it. Neither shall they visit it. Neither shall that be done any more. At that time, they shall call Jerusalem the throne of the Lord. And all the nations shall be gathered unto it. To name to the name of the Lord to Jerusalem. Neither shall they walk any more after the imagination of their evil heart. In those days, the house of Judah shall walk with the house of Israel. And they shall come together out of the land of the north to the land that I, give, I have given them for an inheritance unto your fathers. But I said, how shall I put thee among the children and give thee a pleasant land, a goodly heritage of the host of nations? And I said, Thou shalt call me my father and shalt not turn away from me. Amen. Amen. In the midst of God's judgment, he promises a new day, a new time, a new deliverance. May God add his blessing to the reading of his word. Let's unite our hearts in prayer. Holy Father, we want to say to thee now, my Father. But, oh God, let us not be like Judah and say it feignedly, pretending, not loving thee, not turning to thee with the whole heart. Oh God, preserve us from backsliding. Preserve us from apostasy. Preserve us from lukewarmness. Preserve us from the stupor poured out upon us every day by our wicked culture. Help us, O God. Help us in thy great goodness. Pour out thy mighty spirit here. Revive thy work, O Lord. Give Pentecostal showers. Fill us with that mighty spirit, that living spirit. And may our hearts know the love of Christ. Fill us with joy unspeakable and full of glory. 
But I know, oh God, there are times when that will not come unless we are a repentant people. Help us. Help us to see our sins. Help us to see that some of us are drunken on our culture. Some of us are blinded by our culture and our flesh. Oh God, wake us up at the wheel before we run off the road. Help us, almighty God. Come in thy glorious power. Come by the mighty power of heaven and shake this place. Lord God, fill us with that glorious gospel truth. Fill us with thy word, this living word, this transforming word. Save the lost. Sanctify the saved. And, O oh God, I pray that every soul here will know that Thou hast been present this morning. And I pray it in Thy holy name. Amen. Please be seated. Our congregation is earnestly praying with Jesus Christ, the head of the church, for another pastor. Now we know that our great intercessor hears us. He knows exactly what we need and he will answer it his way, his time. In verse 15 of this Holy Spirit-breathed passage, Jeremiah the prophet delivers a promise from God to Judah and Jerusalem. I, the living God, will give you pastors according to my heart. We want to consider what that means in its context. Then we want to know how it might apply to us. So we now begin a series of messages regarding how to identify a man that God has appointed to be an elder, a pastor after his heart, not a pastor. After our religious itching. Do you know the difference? How would you discern that? We want to answer that. In the weeks ahead. The series is entitled. Pastors. After God's heart. Now, the first message is an introduction, perhaps something of an unusual one to some of you, but it's entitled, God's Promise of Faithful Shepherds. May Christ Jesus, the head of the church, 
exalt his heavenly father's eternal purpose in the churches, instruct our hearts by his word, and prepare us by the spirit to understand and recognize the qualifications and work of pastors. Well, first, we have one main heading today. God called Jeremiah to preach in troubled times. The sacred text before us promised Israel and Judah a glorious future that would include faithful pastors. But we must first consider the context. The one true and living God was angry with his unfaithful people. In Jeremiah's day, Israel was a divided kingdom. Israel was the northern kingdom and Judah was the southern kingdom. Jerusalem was located in Judah and it was the heart of Jewish religion and life. It was therefore God's primary target for judgment. The more you know, the more responsible you are to God. We in this room are more responsible to God than the people on this block who've never darkened a church door. When God rescued Israel from Egypt and took her into the wilderness, a love story, the people were originally devoted to him. They loved God. He'd set them free. But the northern part of the kingdom continuously broke God's covenant, worshipped other gods, and forsook God, her heavenly husband. Not just her sovereign God, that's true enough, but her husband. This was a love story. This was a holy romance. And Israel in the north played the whore. I wonder what Jesus would say to the churches of this nation. For her wicked apostasy and adultery with idols... God divorced the northern kingdom. That's his words. I put her away. By Jeremiah's time, Assyria had destroyed Israel and carried her people into captivity. That's how the divorce resulted. They were out of the land. Judah is left 
but not much longer. Even though godly King Josiah in the south had brought great reform to Judah and Jerusalem, he even tried to reform the north. It failed. But even with this godly king, this godly king pressing for revival, for reform, reformation, the people of Judah would later fall into the same wretched, idolatrous whoredom. Almighty God had warned the families of the house of Israel, chapter 2, verses 7 and 8, I brought you into a plentiful country to eat the fruit thereof and the goodness thereof. But when ye entered, ye defiled my land and made mine heritage an abomination. The priests said not, where's the Lord? And they that handle the law, meaning the priests, knew me not unconverted clergy. Look around at your country, friends. The pastors also transgressed against me, and the prophets prophesied by Baal, in other words, demonic. Spirits. You can get it on the internet or turn on your TV and turn on to some of these religious channels and you will be five or ten minutes in before you're seeing demonic activity very often. And yet people are gobbling it up and sending all our money to it. The prophets prophesied by Baal. And walked after things that do not profit. God's point is this. The leaders of God's people and the leaders of God's country had led them astray. <clears throat> when you look at our nation, when you look at its leaders, political and religious, when you look at what's taking place, do you think it's much different from Jeremiah's day? The leaders had led the people astray. Our nation is astray. Can you hear its death rattle? In chapter 1, verse 18, God's point should be clear. And one of the great troubles is that the people you will often get the most mockery and insult from 
is religious ones. People that profess to be Christians. God knew and Jeremiah would learn that God had given him an unpopular message. He was not going to be an internet star. God says, I'm going to put my words in your mouth. And you're going to preach what I command you to. And that's what he did. And it was costly. He didn't get a big following. People weren't asking him to sign their Bible scrolls. Because of this, in chapter 1, verse 18, God promised to protect Jeremiah, making him a defense city. Listen to this. Making him a defense city against the kings of Judah, against the princes thereof, against the priests thereof, and against the people of the land. In our day, nobody gets away with preaching the truth and ends up with a fan club. Because our people are in love with this culture. If I heard it from anybody, I heard from Christians, I just can't wait that this COVID thing's over so we can get back to the way we were. God is destroying the way things were. Haven't you seen that yet? Who were going to be the primary enemies of Jeremiah, the faithful prophet? The religious leaders of the land and the people that believed them. Therefore, the Lord God made Jeremiah, the son of Hilkiah, a prophet to warn Judah and Jerusalem. God still loved his people, but they needed serious correction. Just as we see Christ telling five of the seven churches in Revelation, I've got something against you. I've got somewhat against thee. Obviously, few, if any, of the religious leaders in Jeremiah's day were converted. Here's Israel surrounded by pagan nations and most of their clergy, their ministers, aren't converted to Almighty God. Is it any wonder that they were in love with the world? And in love with the things around them. And satisfied with outward forms. 
It was a heartless religion, even though God had originated and gifted his people with it. Their hearts weren't in it. God hates heartless professing. If this book is about anything, it's about heart religion. From the old covenant to the new. If your heart's not in your worship, listen carefully. And I say this with love. You're not worshiping. You can be in the building. You can sing the hymns. You can bow your head when they pray. And you can say amen and thump your Bible when the pastor hits one of your religious itches. But unless your heart is in love with and engaged with Jesus Christ, you're not worshiping. In the Old Testament and in the New, God hates heartless worship. So Judah and Jerusalem were in trouble. It's very clear. And yet, God could have incinerated all of them in a moment. He could have had Sodom and Gomorrah version 2. But he didn't. He showed mercy. He showed compassion to his people. There was a big price tag on it. Repent of your sins. Turn away from the idols you're in love with back to me who loved you first. This passage speaks of the prophet's passionate plea. And it's passionate. A passionate plea for God's people to repent. And God gave his promise. If you repent, I'll receive you. After they'd committed adultery with false gods. By the way, don't think you're in the clear if you don't have a gold statue or a silver tree trunk or any of the kind of idols they bowed before. Just remember the Apostle Paul told us that covetousness is idolatry. This country bows to the dollar sign, including Christians. So God appointed Jeremiah to be his voice to the nations. Something that you find in scripture, and it's hard for us to grasp, or at least it is for me, is that God would ever use any of us. That he would ever use weak and feeble, failing and limited vessels such as I. And yet the scriptures here are very clear. From the beginning to the end, God likes... Human administration 
and human working together. He likes it. He could have opened up the heavens and looked at Israel and looked at Judah, revealed his glory, blinding them and saying, repent. He didn't do that. He called Jeremiah. And he said, here, I want you to go. You be my voice. You go talk to them and tell them this. Don't change the message. In chapter 1, verses 1 through 10, Israel, the northern kingdom, shamelessly worshipped other gods and defiantly played the whore like an adulterous wife. Judah, the southern kingdom, watched. And God did not destroy them immediately. So they thought maybe this isn't so bad. Young people, you better get a hold of this. Just because God has not incinerated your nation yet doesn't mean that what everybody's doing is okay with him. He always waits until the cup is full and then he brings down the hammer. God said to Jeremiah, before I formed thee in the belly, I knew thee. Only God can say that. And before thou camest forth out of the womb, I sanctified thee. And I ordained thee a prophet unto the nations. This is God's sovereign predestinating hand. Jeremiah, he didn't wait till Jeremiah was six and then say, uh, hey, Jerry, uh, would you like to do something for me? Right? He didn't do that. That's the kind of God that most people worship. He's just waiting for us to let him do something. No, he said, you were mine before you were even conceived. You were my man. You were going to be my mouth. And I sanctified you to this. <clears throat> Jeremiah, by the way, protested. I'm a child. I can't do this. And God said, be not afraid of their faces, for I'm with thee to deliver thee. Now, you have to believe God to face men and women that hate you and tell them God's truth anyway. He said, it's all right. Go preach. I'm with you. God then touched Jeremiah's mouth. He's sanctifying Jeremiah the prophet. He touched his mouth and said, Behold, I've put my words in thy mouth. My words, your mouth. That's what a prophet is. God reveals to the prophet, gives him the message, and then sends the prophet to speak to God's appointed audience. That's what a prophet is. God's mouthpiece. I've put my words in thy mouth. 
And in this day I have set thee over the nations and over the kingdoms to root out and to pull down and to destroy and to throw down, to build and to plant. Not too many people would want to sign up for that. God would later say, Behold, I will make my words in thy mouth fire. I will make my words in thy mouth fire. And this people would. And it shall devour them. Jeremiah was called to trouble from the beginning. When Jeremiah preached God's words, it provoked so much hostility, so much mockery, and so much trouble for Jeremiah. He decided to stop prophesying. I can tell you it's true that even today, there are times... When God-appointed men are ready to sit down from preaching. But then Jeremiah changed his mind. He said, his word was in my heart as a burning fire. Shut up in my bones. I knew what I was called to. And I knew that I needed to do it. Help me, O oh God, to preach with a mouth full of fire. Jeremiah was a faithful man. He was a faithful prophet. God had called him. God equipped him. God protected him. Jeremiah went on preaching. And so it is with many who are called to preach the whole counsel of God. People want churches to just always be feel-good station. And there are times when we want and desire and need to feel good. But generally, there are exceptions. It's on the other side of repentance. It's when we have cast ourselves entirely upon the love, grace, and mercy of Christ. Not just calling on him. Uh, when we get in trouble. What did God say to the church at Ephesus? You look great. You can tell the false apostles. From real ones. Your doctrine. Uh, your confessions. Super. Just great. There's a problem, though. You've left your first love. Doctrine's important. It's vital. But not without love to Christ. And so it was with Israel. Judah was pretending. They followed some of Josiah's reforms. But God says, but I know it's all pretend. 
Don't you understand when you come in here, you're as naked as you can be before God? You can't hide anything from him. You can hide stuff from me. That's <laughs> not too hard. But I can tell you this. When you come into God's presence, he wants a heart worshiping him. That's what he wants. He wants a heart full of love back to his love. If you're not drinking in his love during the week, you're not going to come and give him love on the Lord's day. Does this make sense? I hope this is not confusing. God will get to the place where if you read the other prophets carefully, you will hear him saying outrageous things. Who told you to come into my presence with these dead animals? Well, it was you, right? But you see, they were missing the most important part. They had the dead animals, but not a living love in their hearts. He says, I'll tell you what. I'll rub your sacrifices like dung in your face. How about that? Did God say that? He sure did. God is not playing. He's not playing with this church. He's not playing with this nation. He is not playing with this world. We need to wake up and pray. We need to wake up and we need to worship with all our hearts. We need to magnify God. We need to come here as if this were something important. Because it is. It's the most important thing going on in this world right now. And it's the same in every gathering of God's people throughout the whole time that the earth rotates on its axis today. Every place one of his blood-bought congregations is meeting. He's there. And it's more important than what's going on in the government. And it's more important than the deep state. People don't know the deep state of heaven. They need to know that. The rule of God in our souls, over our tongues, in our lives. To magnify him. Not some kind of legalistic thing that drags me down. But something that is a heart of joy that wants to serve him with joy and gladness. Wants to be with his people. Wants to get in here and to worship and adore the Lord. Many men have been in Jeremiah's situation. And not exactly. But having been called to preach God's whole counsel. They understand what the words, the burden of the Lord, means. So God divorced Israel in the northern kingdom for adultery. Put her away. And that brings us to the next thought, and that's that Jeremiah rebuked Judah for her sins. Verses 6 through 11, God declared to Jeremiah, Wouldn't you like to be there when God speaks to his prophet? I would. <laughs> Maybe that's just something strange. But I think, what does it sound like? 
What did these words sound like to Jeremiah? Hast thou seen that which backsliding Israel hath done? Have you seen this? She has gone up upon every high mountain and under every green tree and there hath played the harlot. In other words, he's saying up on the high mountains and under these green trees in the groves, they're going to their false gods. Do you know how many people are doing that in this nation right now? The rise of paganism is unbelievable. And they're gloating. Because many among their numbers now are, yeah, I used to be a Baptist. Yeah, I used to be a Roman Catholic. Yeah, I used to be a Presbyterian. Yeah, I used to, but I left all that. They went to something that was real. How about that? Why do you think people seek demons? Why do you think Saul said, Get me a woman that's got a demon. I got to hear from Saul. Oh, that's just for like stuff in the movies, right? What book are you reading? We're warned about our warfare in, in the Old and the New Testament. You are called to a war. It's a real war. What in, the words, what in the world do the words put on the whole armor of God mean? Why in the world would you need to do that if we're at a picnic all the time? Huh? <laughs> we're having a great time. We're just skipping along to heaven. Tell you what, y'all. What we have here is an incredible scene. And we want to get down in it. Have you seen what Israel's doing? Backsliding Israel. She's gone up and she's played the harlot. Those are strong words. He's saying, my wife is unfaithful to me. Now, the passage before us speaks of the prophet's passionate plea for Israel's repentance. And there's a promise that if they repent, there will be mercy and forgiveness. That's the God of Scripture. There he is. Look at his amazing grace. He delivered his people from pagan slavery, brought them into the land, gave them the land that they didn't buy, gave them houses that they didn't build, uh, didn't build let them eat, out of, the, out of the wonderful crops that they didn't plant. And they said, thanks, uh, we like Baal a little better. Could people that have been delivered do that? Why do you think Jeremiah is preaching? They sure can. In love, God pleaded with Israel. Turn now unto me. Listen to those words. And I will tell you what, that's what the gospel says to every lost person here today. Turn now unto me. 
You're living in your rebellion. You're living with your hard heart. You're living in your darkness. But turn to me. The gospel is saying that every day. Turn to me. But then it followed those terrible words. Verse 7 of chapter 3. But she returned not. She returned not. And her treacherous sister Judah saw it. Israel didn't turn. Judah looked at it, weighed it, and said, we'll go with what Israel's doing. That's astonishing. That is astonishing. So, the text goes on to say, and I saw when all, for all the causes whereby backsliding Israel committed adultery, I had put her away, says God, and given her a bill of divorce, not mine anymore. Yet her treacherous sister Judah feared not, but went and played the harlot also. And it came to pass through the lightness of her whoredom that she defiled the land. Now, lightness of her whoredom means she treated it lightly. It wasn't a big deal. Christians today don't think sin's a big deal. As long as you put the word grace in there, they're not usually bothered. Their consciences are usually quiet. Now, don't misunderstand me. When regenerate people sin, they want the grace of Christ. And they want to go to the grace of Christ as soon as they can. They want to repent and go to him because he has faithfully paid the price for all their sins. But the scriptures also make very clear it's not a license to sin. God hasn't changed. He doesn't change. His mercy endureth forever. His grace endures for right now. There will be a time when he says, that's enough. He finally got that place with Israel. He finally got there with Judah. Oh, the Lord Jesus said, you didn't know the day of your visitation. Hmm. I don't want to hear that. I want to say, oh, Lord, your gospel is good. I come to thee. Jesus, I come. Came to pass through the lightness of her whoredom that she defiled the land and committed adultery with stones and with stocks. Children, what that means is that people were making idols for themselves out of rocks and out of tree trunks and covering them with gold and silver and ornaments and jewels and then bowing down. They made their gods. And the scriptures say they're fools. They make their gods and then worship them. God, who made the heavens and the earth, created the universe and then said, come to me. Is that not astounding? Yeah, what a great God. God's offer of mercy to Israel also applied to Judah. Acknowledge your sins, repent of your sins and come to me. I will forgive you. They wouldn't do it. Tell you what. Some of you here today have heard of God's grace. You've heard of God's mercy. You've heard of God's love. And yet, 
You don't think your unbelief is a big deal. You don't think you're... That's the same attitude as Israel. Oh, my whoredom is not a big deal. God says, yet for all this, her idol worship, her, her treacherous sister Judah hath not returned unto me with her whole heart, but feignedly it was pretend. When all of this was sweeping through under Josiah, man, Josiah would hear the word. He'd rip his robes. He said, we got to fix this. And he started fixing everything that he possibly could. And the people went along with it. But God says, but I know what was going on in their hearts. They had to give it up. You ever been like that with one of your sins? I know I shouldn't be doing this. Uh, but I'm not quite ready to give that up. That's a dangerous place to be. Hear the mercy of God. Hear the mercy of the gospel. Repent of your sins. Turn to me. Come to me through my son, Jesus Christ. Come. Trust him. Believe that his shed blood that I spilled for you is real. Believe it. Believe it. Come to him. Come to him. Oh, the gospel is fire in the mouth of those kindled by the Holy Spirit. It is the glorious promise of God to all those who repent and believe. But it means turning your back on your sin. And looking to Jesus Christ. Seeing your sins finished in him. That's the grace. That's the mercy. That's the love of God. But he doesn't play with it. Verse 11, my friends, tells the tragic story of Judah's condition. And the Lord said unto me, Jeremiah, the backsliding Israel hath justified herself more than the treacherous Judah. Why does he keep calling her the treacherous Judah? Because she's pretending to be right with God. He said, Israel was wide open. They had so many wicked kings, one after another. They made their own gods. They put their own priests into the ministry. They, it was all man-made. And they said, we like it and we worship Baal. We really like the sexual immorality that comes along with these other gods. God's such a prude. The God of the Bible, he wants us to be faithful. Right? Look at your culture. What are you seeing? You are seeing a culture drowning in its perverse sexuality. They're bowing to Baal. Whether they know it or not. They're bowing to all the fertility gods. They're bowing. They love it in their movies. They love it on the internet. They love it in their pornography. They love it any and everywhere. That's what they want. They don't want this restrictive old Christianity. 
We don't want those laws. We don't want any of that monogamy stuff. That's completely a trick to keep people under your domination. That's what they're saying. If you're talking to any lost people, that's what they'll tell you. It means they're under false gods. It means they believe false doctrine, whether they, whether they realize that or not. Well, Jeremiah had to preach in a culture that said, down in Judah, yeah, we love the Lord. Yeah, we love these reforms that old Josiah is doing. Uh, but there's some things we'd like to keep doing. And you know, a lot of people do that today and put the sticker of grace over it. Israel justified herself more than treacherous, treacherous Judah. This is what we're doing. Come on up north, y'all. Down in the south, you know, we're, we're reforming down here, except for the stuff that we're not doing. Well, brethren, God sent Jeremiah to speak of a glorious day coming. That's what we've been building up for. Now we've got some context. This is verses 12 through 19. Jeremiah continued. The Lord said to him, go and proclaim these words toward the north. Toward the north. Right? He's down in treacherous Judah, but he's saying, I want you to proclaim these toward those in the north. Return thou backsliding Israel. Come back to me. Come back to me. Listen to God's, this is almighty God. He's speaking the voice of a man in ways that men and women understand. Virtually every Country and western and rhythm and blues songs all about your girl leaving you or your man. Everybody knows the broken heart story. God says, I'll put it right down here on the table so you can get it. Come back to me. Return backsliding Israel and I will not cause mine anger to fall upon you. This is amazing grace. For I am merciful. Saith the Lord. He wanted Jeremiah to put that in there. This is what I'm saying. And I will not keep anger forever. Only acknowledge thine iniquity that thou hast transgressed against the Lord thy God and hast scattered thy ways to the strangers under every green tree. And ye have not obeyed my voice, saith the Lord. Turn, O backsliding children, for I am married unto you. This is God. 
God doesn't have to say that to sinful human beings. He can, he can say as he did to Moses, tell you what, I'll disintegrate these and I'll start over for you. Could he not? But he said, no. What he said is, when I delivered you from Egypt, I took you out to Mount Sinai. What took place there? In the minds of most people, it was just, oh, here comes the legal law. Uh Uh-oh, legalism, the Mosaic Covenant, the clanking of chains. Oh, this is awful. God said, "Uh, actually, that was a wedding. That was a wedding. He said, I bought you. You're mine. Now, here's the wedding covenant. Here's the promises we're going to exchange. And God spake all these words, saying, I am the Lord thy God, which have brought thee out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. Thou shalt not make into thee any graven image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. Thou shalt not bow down thyself to them nor serve them. For I, the Lord thy God, am a jealous God. I'm a jealous husband. You're mine. And this is what he's saying to his unfaithful bride. You're mine. Just acknowledge what you're doing and come to me. For those of you who haven't come to Christ, what are you waiting for? He's passed by. He said, look unto me. Look. Look to me. He shows his love. He shows his mercy. He shows his grace. Turn to me. Turn from your sins and believe me. I will save you and I'll keep you. Well, my friends, God goes on to say, I'm married to you. I will take you one from a city and two from a family. He's talking about the northern kingdom. He isn't saying, I'm bringing everybody home. He said, I'll bring everybody home that repents and come on down. Come on down and come down where to Zion, where they should come to his presence and magnify him and glorify him. It's worship is a love story. Don't we get it? It's our coming and saying, I love you back. Thank you for loving me. You saw me in my dung heap life. And you delivered me. Man, I want to be with your people. I want to be with other people that have been lifted out of the cesspool. I want to be with other people that want to sing their vocal cords out. I want to be with people who want to pray. Not give me all the excuses for why they don't. 
we should be coming and saying, we are here and we're about to get noisy. We're going to sing at the top of our lungs to you because you saved us from what our sins deserve. You put your son in our place. Worship, man. It ought to be a taste of heaven on earth. If it's dead and dry to you, it could be the preacher's fault. It's always a possibility. It might be yours. We all need to examine and say, am I trusting Christ? Am I looking to him alone? Am I thinking, well, because I'm this or I'm that. I'm okay with God. No, the, the only thing to be able to say I'm okay with God is I'm looking to Christ. That's it. God showed his great mercy. He said, I'll bring you to Zion. I'll bring you to the place, the capital of worship. I will bring you to the heart of the world. That's the way the Jews thought of it. Because God was there. I want to go see God. I want to I see the splendor of his temple. I want to magnify him. Well, we ought to be thinking even higher than that. They didn't have, as they saw it, the blood of Christ. We do. The blood of Christ. That precious fountain filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's veins. I'll bring you to Zion. I'll bring you home is what he's saying. I'll bring you to where I am and we'll be together. Stop whoring around and I'll receive you. And he'll say that to sinners here today. Come to me. I am the only one that can save you. A little later in the passage, because we're not going to make it there. He's, he's going to say, you're going to look to those high hills where you've got all of your little idols and you're not going to get any salvation there. He says, it's only in me. And I'm telling you, it's only in the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ the Lord that any of us will ever be right with God. God shows his great love and mercy towards sinful Israel, but he sent her into captivity because she would not repent. The same happened to Judah. Jeremiah faithfully served God, and he preached to Judah until she was carried away. That's faithful. He could have said, I know how this story ends. I'm stopping now because I'm real tired of people calling me what they call me. He said, no. I'm the mouth full of fire. And I'm going to preach what God says until I'm done or they're done or he's done. Now, it's at that point, Judah gets carried away for 70 years. But God, in chapter 3, prophesies through the mouth of Jeremiah a better day coming. Even with the fact that the north and the south didn't repent. God prophesied a glorious day. 
a shining day. He promised, I will give you pastors according to my own heart, which shall feed you with knowledge and understanding. He loved Judah enough to send him Jeremiah. But he promises the day is coming when there will be preaching that will bring understanding and knowledge to God's people. And in that glorious day, it says, It shall come to pass when ye be multiplied and increased in the land. In those days, saith the Lord, they shall say no more, The ark of the covenant of the Lord. That was the centerpiece in the temple. Because that's where God met with his people. And he's saying, the Jews would say, we want to go up to, to the temple. God's there between the cherubim. And the prophet is saying, there's going to be a day when that's gone. What? There's coming a day when that will be gone. And he said, they're not going to remember it. It's not going to come to mind. They're not going to remember it. Neither shall they visit it. Neither shall that be done anymore. Why? What day would that be? That day when Jesus Christ came into this world to establish the kingdom of God. When the Son of God came into this world. And it started out with John the Baptist. There's one coming. He's here. As a matter of fact, he's the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. A better day came. That's why you and I need to shape up. The better day has come. We dare not take it lightly. We ought to take it with joy. As much as the Lord will let us get our arms of faith around it and hold on to it until he brings us home. We won't need the Ark of the Covenant anymore because we've got the Christ of the Covenant. In that day, it says... Jerusalem will be the throne of the Lord. That's what they always hoped. It's going to be something like nobody had ever imagined. It's talking about that glorious day when the kingdom is consummated. How do we know that? Well, it says, well, because Judah and Israel will be together again. They're going to walk together. At that time you shall call Jerusalem the throne of the Lord. All the nations shall be gathered unto it to the name of the Lord, to Jerusalem. Neither shall they walk any more after the imagination of their evil heart. What day is that? It's a day when all God's people who have new hearts are with Christ forever. Reigning, ruling with him. For eternity. The kingdom. Has come. The kingdom. Will come. The kingdom. Has been established. The kingdom. Will be consummated. And all God's people would be brought together. To that heavenly and holy Jerusalem. And they will serve the Lord. And they'll never go back to their idols. Never, never. 
In those days, the house of Judah shall walk with the house of Israel, and they shall come together out of the land of the north into the land given as an inheritance unto your fathers. Hmm, that's only a day when there's a major transformation. And it's coming. Friends, we're a day closer to it. That's why those of you who do not know Christ, repent. He will receive you. Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden. I will give you rest. So part of this glorious new covenant time, new kingdom time, is faithful pastors. They will preach the word without changing it. At least doing everything they can not to. They'd rather die than change it. They will preach Christ. They will preach God's word. They will preach the love of God. They will preach the wrath of God. They will preach the grace of God. They will preach the severity of God. I want to sum up the Bible in one verse. It's behold the goodness and severity of God. So, my friends, the prophecy of Jeremiah points to a coming new time. And we're it. And there are, thank God, and have been since the coming of Christ, faithful preachers. Well, how do we recognize them? Because there's a whole lot of people in the pulpits that ought not to be there. Well, God in his mercy has recorded in this book how we can recognize the men he's appointed. And we shouldn't move from that. So, our responsibility now is to learn from his book what we look for and then say, now, we want our hearts to be like a heat-seeking missile. We want to go right to God's truth. And we want to recognize those who have those God-given qualifications. It isn't, oh, he's a great guy. Oh, he's fun to go fishing with. Oh, man, you ought to see the motor on his boat. That's not it. Oh, he preaches the doctrine of election and predestination every other week. That's not it. God says, here are my men. Look for them. It's not a puzzle. It's not a mystery. If the churches of Jesus Christ would be faithful and patient to find such men, the churches would be healthier and Christ would be more greatly exalted. That's what we want. So, my brethren, there was a promise from God about faithful shepherds. We live in the day of it. And we want those men to preach in the churches where God puts them. And may God give us eyes to see and minds and hearts to believe what he says about the qualifications of an elder. Let's find faithful men. In Jesus' name, amen.
Father, we thank thee. We need thee. We ask for thy mercy. Now bless thy people. Encourage their hearts. Build them up in the faith. Thou hast given us a glorious power of God unto salvation called the gospel. Help us to preach it to our last breath. And oh God, as days get darker here, Jeremiah kept right on preaching. Help thy faithful men to keep on preaching. To preach the glories of Christ, his kingdom, his gospel. And I pray that thou wouldst bear a hundredfold fruit to the glory of God. And I pray it in his name. Amen.